This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm good, Bryce. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Always excited to be talking stocks, and today we continue our shallow dives for our summer series with companies that have been suggested by our audience. Yes. We've had some interesting companies over the last few episodes, and that does not stop with this episode. We are going to be discussing Volpara. VHT is the ticker code. So don't get that confused with uh, the VHT over on the New York Stock Exchange, which is the Vanguard Healthcare Index Fund. Yes. I'm hoping that the listener who suggested VHT didn't want us to be doing a deep dive on that and not Volpara because we didn't specify ASX. Oh, well, I don't know. Did they uh, They might have given us the name, not the stock ticker. Uh, potentially. Yeah. I feel like they gave us the stock ticker. Well, if they wanted us to look at an ETF, I mean... <laughs> Interesting. But anyway, we digress again. So Volpara, Ren, is a New Zealand company actually based over in in Wellington. Yep. It's a research and development company. Healthcare is the sector that it's in and it specializes in breast imaging analytics and analysis products that help to improve the decisions that our doctors and, and those that are trying to identify breast cancer help them to improve and identify breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah, 100%. So pretty important uh, pretty important business, pretty important to our society. Anything to add to, to what it does? Not at this stage. I mean, you've summed it up there. It uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to analyze images to try and get better at detecting breast cancer. There's over half a million breast cancer deaths every year, so big need for it. Yeah. I guess one thing that we will probably get into eventually, so we may as well get into now, is it seems like what they're they're arguing for is not just better technology, but a certain type of imaging and a certain type of analysis, which I think is contested in the scientific field. Now, this is all, you know, we're only doing a shallow dive here. So, if you were thinking about investing in this company, you would want to get deeper into this issue and really understand 
what is going on here, but I'll give you my brief understanding of it. So Volpara is focused on a risk factor of breast density. And I guess there's a scale that they use of A to D, where A is the least dense, D is the most dense. C is considered 1.2 times more likely than the average woman to have breast cancer. And D is considered 2.1 times more than the average or six times more likely than the A class to develop breast cancer. So in a nutshell, they're arguing that this breast density is an important risk factor and it should be considered more in a lot of their technology like there's, that is focused on measuring that risk factor. But it seems like it's not universally accepted as an important risk factor. In their 2019 annual report, the CEO ha- lists a number of major studies around the world that support breast density as a major risk factor or critique the current imaging system, which is acronym is BIRADS. So it seems like there is some level of trying to prove their point as well about this as a risk factor. So I just searched, you know, breast density for breast cancer. And a lot of the information sites sort of talk about how density is a risk factor, but then they put a number of caveats. So for the sake of completeness, I'll read some of them out. So Density can vary at different points in people's lives and so and it can be scored differently from one clinic to another and so it's difficult to draw conclusions around uh, risk based on density alone. Even for people with extreme density, the risk of developing breast cancer is not as high as other well-known risk factors and then many women who don't have density can still develop breast cancer. So I guess that is all to say that not only are they trying to develop and commercialize the technology, but it seems like they're also trying to win a yeah, argument argument around, around yeah, yeah, around whether what is the best way. Yeah, yeah. So because it's all about early detection, right? And they're trying to detect it as early as possible. Yes, yes. So that's where the argument's coming around is what is the best way to detect it as early as possible. Yeah. And then I guess their argument is twofold. One, that this is an important risk factor, and two, that their technology is the right technology to attack this risk factor. And so to jump ahead to the question that you've been asking at the end of these sessions, is it in your circle of competence? For me, I would say I have no idea about the scientific argument that's going on. Yeah. And it seems that whether this technology works and whether it's cost effective, whether clinics like it is secondary to the broader scientific argument. And so for me at this point, well outside my circle of competence because I have no idea how important density is as a risk factor. And it seems that a lot of the company's fortunes depend on that debate. Yeah, I would agree, Ren. I don't tend to go to bed and read uh, read up on these sorts of things at night. So certainly outside of my circle of competence as well, but nonetheless, pretty interesting to try and get your head around all of these sorts of things because, you know, they throw you throughout their packs that they've been approved by the FDA and risk assessments and all this sort of stuff, which can be misleading, I guess, in some instances. So got to pick you up there. You said that they've been approved by the FDA. It's important the terminology you used. If you've read the Theranos book. Yes, and listened to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> the dropout. They haven't been approved by the FDA. They've been cleared by the F- FDA. Ah. So FDA is the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. Yeah. And they have the responsibility for approving drugs, but also medical devices. FDA cleared is when a device is substantially similar to 
to other devices that have already been approved. The FDA doesn't do a thorough examination and they clear it. And that's how Theranos floated along for a while. And then they had some other loophole around being a laboratory. But FDA approved is when the FDA have reviewed specifically and approved. Interesting. And so in this case, it's a clearance. Yes. Primarily based on the fact that it's very similar to existing technologies yeah, and, yeah. and devices out there at the moment. Because I think Volpara isn't trying to add value in terms of the device itself. It seems the device itself is a means to an end, which is the AI and the machine learning used to analyze what's being shown at a better rate than currently exists. So is there long-term play here to win the argument so that uh, win the argument against uh, early detection and the best way to do so and then have a, such a patented product that they sort of corner the market into using theirs? I don't know, you'd have to you'd have to ask them. Well, they're not here and so <laughs> <laughs> from what it looks like they have recently acquired a company medical reporting software MRS and that gives them access to I think close to 2000 clinics in the US and it it seems like they've got technology that helps clinics regardless of this broader argument, but then the, I guess the the question is they would also be hoping to sell their specific stuff around density to these clinics as well. Yeah, well, it's interesting, this MRS medical reporting systems or software, you know, we were talking about APEN and how they use data to feed into AI. Well, part of the reason that they bought this MRS was because of the huge amount of data that MRS has already on screened women and how they want to feed that into their AI system to help, I guess, build their AI technology and and strengthen their argument that their way of detection is probably the best. So I'm just looking at their list of products. So there's a specific product, Volpara Density, which relates to that argument that we were talking about before. But they've got a bunch of other ones that look like sort of enterprise software to manage clinics. So Volpara Enterprise, Volpara Enterprise DDP, Volpara Scorecard, uh, Volpara Live, and then a lung scanning one as well. So it looks like part of the business, which is on density, part of their business, which looks like it's about lungs, and then a lot, which is around enterprise software. So I think their strategy is to build software, be it like clinic management software or be it AI to help breast cancer screening clinic. Very interesting stuff. Well, how about we move to the financials, Ren, because it's worth trying to have a crack at evaluation despite, as we've experienced over the last few companies, this one does have a negative earnings per share as well. So it's going to be a bit difficult to do a DCF. But from what I'm seeing, they had revenue from contracts with customers going from 2.8 million in 2018 to 5 million in 2019. Now that is in New Zealand dollars based over in Wellington. Yep. Gross profit on that 4.1 million gross profit on on 5 million in in uh, revenue with contracts. However, then you've got to take into consideration operating income, sales and marketing. Once you do all of that, unfortunately, we come out with a bit of a uh, we come out with a loss, Ren, of eleven point seven million. Seven, yeah, so significant loss. Yes, <laughs> ouch. But I guess you know to to be expected. Is it? Yeah, I, I think companies that are doing you know creating medical devices and are relatively early in their trajectory. That's 
that's not surprising. True, true. Right. Well, $392 million market cap rent and it falls in the healthcare sector. Unfortunately, we can't give it a price to earnings because uh, its earnings per share are negative, as I said. So as we've uh, discussed previously, we can do have a look at, say, price to sales, other key metrics. If I'm looking at what Morningstar have come back with, they have come back with a fair value of $1.74. It's currently trading at $1.80. So within that range. It's amazing how Morningstar are always within the range. It is amazing. And I guess that's why they're the professionals at it. And they also do release these reports every day. So it's a daily update. Right. So I've got yesterday's. We're recording on a Saturday here. So I have Friday's updated value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we look at price to sales, it looks like in Aussie dollars, they're made three cents revenue per share and they're trading at $1.80. So 60 price to sales ratio is high, higher than 95% of the companies in its sector. So take that as you will. There's a lot of expectation built into the stock. In terms of the discount cash flow or the Roger Montgomery style that we spoke about in our valuation episode, because the losses are expanding and there's no cash flow at the moment, both of those valuation methods become fraught. Can you just, I want to double back, you said there's a lot of expectation built into the stock. What do you mean by that? So given that the market is willing to price it at 60 times its current sales, the market is projecting that that sales number will grow aggressively. And I guess the flip side is that if it doesn't, then we can probably expect to see the market react unfavorably towards it. Yes, yes. And we got to keep in mind that, so the stock sort of launched in 2016 and it's up 270% from there. So it's run a long way. And so, you know, the market are expecting to see something. Yeah. Yeah. So Ren, there's one thing that I picked up on and relatively, I'm not sure really where it stands, but I'd be interested to get your opinion on it. Ownership of the company by Founders Management Board is a good indication of, you know, they've got skin in the game, they believe in their strategy, they're probably going to be less inclined to focus on the short-term incentives, you know, things that probably boost their short-term incentives and focus more on the longer term. Total ownership of the company for Founders and, and Management is 26%. Now, I don't really know where that stands as a whole. I would have thought that a founder would be would be more. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell. I, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I feel like 26% of a publicly traded company is a lot. It's a good point. It's not like Zuckerberg would own far less than 26% of Facebook. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's also a multi-hundred <laughs> billion dollar company. <laughs> yeah, yes. True, true. <laughs> this is a market cap of 300 million or what they're about. Because so. I think like when you list, you have to sell shares or you create more. And, Dilute your own. Yeah. yeah. Unless, unless you decide that you're going to subscribe to the IPO to can maintain your percentage. I think 26% is pretty high. Well, I mean, if it is, that's good news. Yeah. Yeah. I would be interested to know though. Well, maybe we should try and do some research off air and come back with another episode around comparisons yeah. with this sort of stuff. Yeah. Insider ownership. If we're to use this as a gauge for the, the you know, investing in companies, it'd be good to know what is that sort of line between, uh, you know, invest. they're not owning enough and perhaps uh, they're too invested in the company, if that's even a thing. Yeah, no such thing as too invested in the company. Well, they could own 100% and then we can't invest it all, so. True. <laughs> True. Well, if they own 100%, why are they public? <laughs> they wouldn't be. <laughs> impossible. <laughs> is it impossible? Yes. No, you could be publicly traded and just 
buy all the shares and just rather than taking it private, stay publicly traded. That is true. And then the share price, I guess, just would never change because <laughs> yeah. there'd be no liquidity in the stock. Zero, yeah. Well, maybe the ASX has rules around oh, total shareholders. But maybe it's like you just want to publicly report. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> so everyone knows how good your company is. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you'll see. If I find, found a company not selling any shares but uh, <laughs> making it public. Well, I guess that's probably it from my point of view for Volpara and not necessarily something that falls in my circle of competence. But again, an interesting one to try and get head around a few new concepts to learn in there and always uh, a challenge to try and come up with a, a good thesis with these sorts of companies. Uh, is there anything to add from your end? Nothing much. The, the only thing would be we spoke about its end of F19 revenue which was reported in March 2019. In September 2019, in the six months after, it beat its whole F19 revenue number. So, like, in terms that of growth... they forecast? I don't know what they forecast, but for the year ending March 19, they did 4.79 million Aussie, 5 million New Zealand. And then in the six months after that, they did 6.35 Aussie. Wow. So, I mean, we were talking earlier about expectation being built into the stock. That's if why. It, if it keeps building its revenue momentum like that, yeah. uh, good things tend to happen. Well, keep an eye out, I guess, to see if they do come out with any adjustments to or guidance adjustments, because as we've learned, the positive guidance adjustments generally mean that the share price is going to you know, follow in the upward direction for some time to come. So keep an eye on that over the Christmas period and going into the new year reporting season. Good call out. Nice one. Well, we'll leave it there. Another shallow dive complete and we'll pick it up again next episode. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.